Hi everybody, it's Father Tony, and joining me is Jonathan Stewart. Hello, Jonathan. And uh, we had a very interesting conversation with Father Douglas Bess of the Liberal Catholic Church for the video portion, and we're going to continue that conversation now. Uh, welcome back, Father Bess. Thanks for doing the podcast. Thank you once again. It's good to be here. All right. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about the Liberal Catholic Church. Uh, what I wanted to maybe get into some more detail now that we had some time um, is to uh, talk about those uh, energetic structures that are created uh, during the Liberal Catholic Mass. Can you, um, can you talk a little bit about that, that temple that is being built and, and what it's like? Well, again, it's, you know, you have to really get into, uh, to really understand the Eucharistic temple. Uh, you really do have to kind of get into Wedge, or excuse me, uh, Bishop Leadbeater's writings. Uh, and he's, he goes into a great detail about what each little section of the Mass does in terms of building this temple and what it does for uh, parishioners, the participants in it, and then what the priest's role is. Uh, I guess in, gen in general, though, what I can say is, because uh, it will take up too much of our time to get too detailed about the temple, but it's a, as, as we talked about in the introduction, it's this large sort of spiritual edifice that Leadbeater claims that he saw clairvoyantly that is constructed during the Mass, and its purpose is to essentially be a channel or a kind of like a generator, if you will. It sort of is pulling in the energies that are being brought by angels, and then these are intensified as the as the congregation, the people, and the priest do their work. These energies, according to Leadbeater, are in, sort of intensified so that then they just kind of burst out into uh, the surrounding. Well, they burst out amongst the people, of course, but they are. Especially, sort of burst out into the neighborhood. There's a there's a great belief amongst liberal Catholics that the purpose of the mass, uh, and the, of course the the word uh, Eucharist means Thanksgiving, uh, but in the liberal Catholic tradition, there's really a sense of it as being a work, mm -hmm. and the people are doing this work uh, for the good of humanity. Uh, a lot of what liberal Catholics spirituality is about in its traditional sense. Uh, the way that Leadbeater and Wedgwood and other influential people formulated it, is that the people are engaged in this work and that this work will uh, basically bring about the evolution of humanity. That Because the goal of liberal Catholic spirituality is for all human beings, as we say in our liturgy, to reach the Master's feet, mm -hmm. to reach the feet of God. And there is a belief that all will do this, uh, once various conditions of ignorance and misunderstanding are removed. And it's our belief that this sort of Eucharistic energy is one of the most sort of beneficial ways and helpful ways that this occurs, that it actually quickens the process of sort of natural evolution by sort of infusing this kind of magical energy into the process. Mm -hmm. And so this is what the Eucharistic temple is really designed to do. Now, when you get into the specifics of what Wedgwood is talking, or uh, excuse me, I keep saying Wedgwood, <laughs> uh, Leadbeater is talking about really what's, you know, you know, he'll get into like, you know, well, when you do this one part of the mass, you're like laying the floor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then when you do the next part of the mass, you know, you're, you're uh, building the, you know, the, I don't know, the L joints or something. You know what I mean? Right. And there's just, it's and there's very. seven arches. And then yes, each arch all the arches. It even has a picture of it. Mm -hmm. If you, if you get a, a good hard copy uh, from uh, the Theosophical Publishing House, uh, I believe they still do. I know that when I bought it years ago, they did. They, they include a picture of this uh, Eucharistic edifice that you can kind of like remove out of the book, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yes, he had an artist actually, you know, compose what it looks like. Yeah. I like the, the, the term you used during the video show as a transmitter for talking to God. That, that was the right. line. That was a line out of uh, um, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, right? When they're talking about the, <laughs> about the Ark or whatever. No, that was in the. Uh, Ark of the Covenant. Sorry, yes, uh, Raiders yeah. of the Lost Ark. Uh, please don't, <laughs> please don't send me your emails. I don't. Sharing these letters. Please tell me at gnosticwisdom.net. Thanks. No, uh, that's not my email address. <laughs> 
Oh yeah. Well, I guess send them there. Wink, wink. Yeah. Uh, Father Best, we've we we're already kind of covering this question. I put in I put in infamously leading questions in <laughs> in our sheet, but um, I'm shocked just uh, what I discovered within myself, let alone our culture. There's a strange Protestant bias that anything that is ritualistic and sacramental is is bad. If you if you take ten people and put them in a room and say right. associate do free association with the word ritual, they'll say empty. So right. you know, there's this idea that religion should be pure, that that ritual gets in the way of uh, of of the direct communication of God, and that it's just a bunch of of hooey that uh, that is there to to bore you and uh, and and entrap you. Um, I even actually last night uh, I was talking to a uh, uh, about magical Catholicism with a young lady from Mexico, and she said, you know, she found the Catholic churches here too too uh, too Protestant. I mm, said, exactly. I said, even our Buddhism is too Protestant. But um, I, I was wondering <laughs> if you can talk a little bit about the ritual, ritual and sacraments in in developing one's spiritual life and kind of countering this this narrative that's kind of in the subconscious of the West. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting point that you bring up. Uh, you, we definitely do live in a in a kind of what we can call a Protestant matrix. Uh, this Protestant matrix is uh, the reason that the Roman Catholic Church, as your uh, Mexican uh, magical friend commented, uh, is too Protestant for her. Uh, this sort of po this vat this post Vatican II Roman Catholic Church as well. I mean, really, when the when the Catholic Church did that, it was an act of Protestantization. Now, you know, the the Protestantism comes from this concept of protesting, and of course, what they were protesting was the kind of uh, all of the corruption and things that had set into the church, which many people in the independent movement. Uh, I, I consider liberal Catholic Church part of the independent Catholic movement or sacramental movement, however you want to describe that. Many of us as well believe that the church had entered into a kind of uh, a stage of corruption, essentially, and needed reform. Uh, but of course, the human, the human tendency is to uh, always, it seems to anyway, to me, to want to move from reform into... Um, uh, just jet, you know, just jettisoning, jettisoning things and uh, mm -hmm. throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, I've always looked at um, the sacraments as as a kind of a. If you really think about it, what ritual does is it it does the same things that scripture does, it, and it does the same thing that religion in general does. Uh, does you know, religion means to bind back, and you know, we live as in this sort of modern and or postmodern uh, time, and the very concept of being bound goes against our, uh, our sensibilities, you know, so this idea of being bound back toward something uh, offends people. Uh, but I've always looked at it as it's really, uh, the ritual stuff is part of a tradition, and yes, traditions can be very uh, draconian, and they can kind of tie us down and bind us back and so forth. But they also, you know, if it wasn't for our traditions, we'd still every day be going out and, and you know, dying because we didn't remember the tradition about which plants we should eat <laughs> and which plants that we shouldn't eat. And there's, when you start thinking of it that way, uh, you really can't live without tradition. We're products of tradition. And, you know, as long as tradition is always open to uh, reform and improvement, right? you know, in the liberal Catholic Church we believe in, in spiritual evolution of all humanity, as long as you're kind of open to that and you don't allow the tradition to be a kind of, you know, something that can never be broken kind of thing or can never be changed or, you know, as long as it doesn't become too rigid, it's actually this wonderful sort of guidepost. It's this kind of... It keeps you within a certain boundary as you sort of snake along through your existence, either in this life or others, you know, as you're sort of snaking along, uh, it kind of keeps you from wandering a little too far off on one way or, or too far off on the other way, and it keeps you within a certain kind of reasonability, it keeps you in a, in a kind of safety uh, of, uh, 
in your mentality and the way you deal with other human beings. Uh, you know, tradition is human existence is really about human beings learning how to get along with each other. And our traditions are very important in telling us how that was accomplished. Uh, if if we just have to basically every you know every ten years have to rediscover everything that our ancestors ever learned, we're not going to get very far, and we might actually take steps backwards. And I think that if you have a uh, if you have a knee jerk reaction to ritual to begin with, um, I think some of the most interesting reasons why uh, liberal Catholicism or uh, Joanite Gnosticism or any of these other kind of esoteric Christian traditions would be appealing to somebody would be kind of that um, that magical element, that esoteric element that that you, uh, while it might be present in other sacramental churches, it's certainly not talked about and it's certainly not taught. Um, if somebody has a has a strong opinion about uh, ritual being dumb, then <laughs> that argument, which I think is a pretty good one. Uh, would work on them anyway. Yeah, well, and you see, and the other thing too about ritual that I didn't mention is that, you know, there's this tendency in a Protestantized culture and a postmodern sort of culture to um, kind of focus on um, on the intellect and mm -hmm. on uh, uh, what's going on in our minds and so forth, or or in politics and things like that. But you know, human beings are these sort of multifaceted beings you know we have bodies and we have emotions and we have uh, all these other factors going on and so for instance you know I grew up as a liberal Protestant I you know I was baptized by a woman minister and uh, you know we had a little Sunday service uh, uh, you know kind of what we called a communion service and you know it was sort of do-gooder liberal Protestantism you know be nice to each other and it was it was fine growing up uh, but then later on in life, I I just started wanting something that had a little more spiritual depth to it, mm -hmm. and I started I started investigating different religious paths and traditions and so forth. And one time, I just happened to go into a, what was called an Anglican Catholic church, mm -hmm. and I walked into this church, and it was just full of incense, and the people were on their knees, and they were sort of uh, in deep contemplative sort of prayer during the liturgy and there was this sort of chanting and music and then there was the the sounds of the bells and the and it was just an intoxicating sort of experience and it 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 sort of grabs you on this whole other level besides like what do you believe or you know what is your position on the poor or something like that it grabs sort of the whole of you uh, you know it, 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 it's a well I guess it's just a more holistic inclusive kind of spiritual path it, it, it takes seriously uh, the other senses the, the senses of sight and smell and taste and so forth exactly and it, yeah, cu and it, it cuts away the dualism of, of that is the real problem oftentimes of Protestantism you know it's like saying we say well God is everywhere he just can't be in this bread and wine <laughs> right you know. yeah. um, is there a, is there a connection between uh, Gnosticism and, and the LCC either the ancient Gnostics or the, the more modern Gnostic churches well you know um, the like I said in the in the introduction, the the liberal Catholic Church has this belief that you know you're supposed to develop what it considers gnosis. Now, at the time that this statement was written, you know, in the like 19 teens and early 20s and so forth, a lot of people didn't really have a very good understanding of what Gnosticism was, and um, so, for instance, in the liberal Catholic documents, it it, it refers to a Gnostic tradition that the church is trying to revise as it re or revive as it revives the ancient wisdom and it was the church actually taught in its early documents that the ancient gnostics uh the the so-called heretics uh had this gnosis and in many ways they were pushed out of the church because you know the church didn't understand the gnosis anymore and so forth 
but then they also sort of confusingly said that like well and and by the way many modern gnostics still make this confusion uh and this is my personal a statement here, so don't take this as a as a standard liberal Catholic statement. Mm-hmm. But many modern uh, Gnostics have a, a same issue where they they have a tendency to say, well, Cle- or Clement of Alexandria and Origen of Alexandria, they were also part of this Gnostic tradition that included all these heretical, uh, you know, these other groups that the church called heretical. But the problem with that is, of course, is that, you know, Clement and Origen um, actually and many of their writings write against Valentinus and against Basilides and so forth. And so, you know, you have to, it's more, it's more complex than the liberal Catholic church originally understood it, but that's been a problem or an issue for a hundred years with uh, esoteric Christians and, and what I guess you could call a neo-Gnostic sort of movement that we have today as well. But that's, that's my own kind of personal personal issue that oftentimes other esotericists uh, uh, get a little prickly with uh, <laughs> with me about, you know. But uh, in general, yes, the church does consider itself uh, part of a greater, speaking now as a, as a member of the wider church, it considers itself part of a, of a great Gnostic tradition that would have included, you know, Valentinus and so forth. It's just, I personally have a little more problem with that because of my studies, but... And not too straight. We'll too just far. leave that alone. Yeah, not too straight, too far afield here. But um, uh, the early Theosophists were instrumental in bringing a lot of the what Gnosticism they had uh, right. to to the English-speaking world at the very least. Uh, you know, G.R.S. Mead was uh, one of the uh, was very prolific writer uh, and and translated some of the Pistosophia and some other yes. uh, Gnostic works. So. Um, you know, a lot of that was kind of in the uh, in the ether, as it were. Yeah, and the liberal Catholic the liberal Catholic Church got that from Blavatsky and the Theosophists. That was their belief as well mm-hmm. that that the Gnostic schools that the Church had labeled heretical were uh, part you know part of this ancient wisdom underground te- you know stream of tradition. Yes, yeah. it's you know it's fun to think about. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, it is. It's, it's interesting. I, you know, for many years when I was younger, if you had talked to me 20 years ago, I would have said, oh, yes, definitely, you know. It's just now I've, I've, I've studied so much of it. And when, when you read Clement of Alexandria and Origen and you realize the issue is kind of pretty complex. Sure, know? yeah. So, yeah. And as we've said on this show time and time again, there, there was no, you know, monolithic Christianity back then anyway. And every, no. every church in every corner had a different set of teachings and a different set of books. And right, right. Yeah. So, uh, if one more, uh, I don't like the phrase, but I'll say Gnostic, modern Gnostic, or Neo-Gnostic says Council of Nicaea to me one more time. Oh, I know, I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I had this conversation with somebody just the other day at, at Mass at St. Sarah's uh, uh, here, in, uh, here in Boston, and uh, it, they were shocked when I said, the ancient Gnostics weren't persecuted, they weren't burned at the stake. They just lost the popularity contest. They lost the popularity contest. Yeah, that's really yeah, all well, there is to it. And part of the other thing, that, and and you know, the, if we, it's it's just like you mentioned with the the Council of Nicaea. You know, there's many of these sort of myths mm-hmm. that flow through different communities, and so traditionalists and you know Catholics and Orthodox, they have their myths, and uh, you know us liberal Catholics and neo Gnostic type groups. You know, we we have some of our own myths like that as well, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, <laughs> that's just part of the. That's just part of the way human beings deal with things. You know, we like to make them a little easier to yeah. understand than they are sometimes. Yeah, yeah. The the Joanite Church has a tradition that we, uh, you know, have an unbroken line uh, to St. John for, through the Knights Templar. And right, right. Is that, strictly speaking, 100% historically accurate? Eh, probably not, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. there are more important <laughs> things than facts, right? <laughs> exactly. And just like Father Bess's point, it's it's just kind of how religion works and traditions sure. work. It's the same thing in like Tibetan Buddhism. You can't prove a lot of the Tibetan Buddhism lineages, you know, go back all the right, way to right. the Buddha. It's it's just it's how the religious imagination works. This mythic history which mm-hmm. becomes important. Yeah. And it's it's better than real history sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well it's certainly more interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I shouldn't even say real. You know, sometimes the mythic is, is more real than what we think right. of, in my opinion, right? So, mm-hmm. 
Uh, anyways, well, this is sorry, Father Bessie. The podcast is kind of where we go down rabbit holes. I should I should let you know. So, uh, but maybe coming back to the sheet, Father Tony, did you have some some questions uh, marked that are a little bit more specific for uh, yes, for, uh, uh, our right? Yeah, I know that the liberal Catholic tradition uh, talks about uh, the Master Christ and and the inner Master. Can you go into some detail right. about that for? <laughs> oh, that's an easy one. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, Keep in mind, the, we got the, lots of time. So yeah, yeah, the, we have lots the, of time. The liberal Catholic Church. Um, uh, this and this again. A lot of this goes back to Leadbeater. You know, he was held in a, in a very high esteem amongst theosophists, and then after the founding of the liberal Catholic Church by the liberal Catholics themselves, and he developed this clairvoyant idea uh, based on, you know, and by the way, theosophists, many uh, have rejected uh, Leadbeater over this, the last hundred years and de derisively call his version of theosophy, you know, neo-theosophy, pseudo-theosophy, and so forth. But he, he had this sort of clairvoyant vision, and the vision was that uh, there was going to be this sort of returning Christ type of figure, which back they called it the Maitreya. Mm -hmm. And the Maitreya was, well, I should backtrack just a little bit and say that in, in theosophy, there's this belief in the, what, what they call the masters or the hidden masters. And they kind of are like, or sometimes they're called the great white brotherhood and so forth. And they are these kind of beings that, Oftentimes they'll say that they still have human bodies, but they kind of they live in 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 this other kind of realm where they're they're not usually dealing with with human beings and their material bodies and so forth. And they kind of guide humanity. They lead this process of evolving humanity. Uh, they're kind of like you know, if you want to use a communist phrase, you know, the vanguard, the mm -hmm. spiritual vanguard of humanity's evolution. And uh, these masters uh, have various offices, just like there's offices in groups like the Theosophical Society. Uh, and one of these offices is a very important one called like the Office of the World Teacher. And this world teacher in the past had been like Krishna. And then later on, he incarnated as the Buddha. And then later on, this world teacher position was held you know, by Jesus when he was in uh, Palestine, and now according to Leadbeater, he was going to hold this position uh, in the body of J uh, Jadu Krishnamurti, who was this Indian boy that uh, Leadbeater had clairvoyantly perceived on a beach in India, this uh, teenage boy, uh, that he was going to be this next, uh, the vehicle for the coming of this, of this spiritual being called the World Teacher. And so within the liberal Catholic Church, there was this belief that Krishnamurti was going to be this world teacher, this Maitreya master figure. Uh, and the belief is that, you know, there's this office of, of the Christ. We each have the Christ within us, but there's also this master Christ that you can kind of commune with in your meditation. So if you see how complex this gets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... Uh, after the Krishnamurti situation, I don't need to probably explain the whole thing, but basically he renounces. He, he disagreed. <laughs> he renounces the position. He, you know, he gets to a point where he says, you know, truth is a in true Protestant fashion. <laughs> he says that truth is a pathless land, and uh, so forth, and you don't need these traditions and and spiritual groups and so forth, and uh, so from that point forward. The, the concept really gets quite spiritualized within the liberal Catholic Church. And, and there's much more of a focus on this Maitreya or Master Christ type figure is uh, somebody that you will just sort of encounter uh, in sort of interior realms mm -hmm. during your meditation and so forth. Many, many liberal Catholic churches up until probably like the 1990s, even 80, 80s or 90s, uh, many of them actually had a portrait that Leadbeater had commissioned, uh, I can't remember the woman's name, but a female artist that uh, 
to draw a picture of the Maitreya. And that portrait, uh, it was quite famously uh, hanging at the, uh, over in the centerpiece kind of of the altar up above the cross uh, in most liberal Catholic churches for most of its history. But in the modern time, there's much less of talk about this Maitreya figure. Many liberal Catholics still believe in it. Uh, and many, uh, there's probably some you can talk to who think that Krishnamurti was the Maitreya, but he just taught something that was too hard for people to understand. I and get emails so, every now and then from someone who, who thinks that she is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, basically, it's a, it's a kind of, it's really just a way of what many other groups might just say is the mystical Christ, you know. And uh, liberal Catholics and, and some theosophists, I think, what they would say is it, it see, there's a, there's a tradition within theosophy, which liberal Catholics have also inherited, which is that sort of during your, your meditations, you can also engage in what is essentially, uh, they probably wouldn't like it described this way, but it's essentially a visualization process. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because your goal if you were a theosophist, you know, is to meet these masters, to have what are called initiations uh, from these masters. And, uh, you know, within the liberal Catholic tradition, there's more of this focus on, you know, getting this initiation or this meeting with the Christ, because really that, it's understood that that Christ is sort of, is who you really are anyway. So, so it's this inner Christ that you're like sort of searching for, and as the Gnostics would have said, you know, you want to see face to face. Mm -hmm. So is this is this inner Christ sort of similar to uh, to some Gnostic ideas of say the divine spark and the inner divinity, or is it a different concept? No, no, it's it's very similar. Yes, they have the, okay. they're really working with the same kind of. I think somebody mentioned earlier archetypes. Uh, mm -hmm they're really working with very similar archetypes and as most of the world religions are you know that was one of the yeah. great insights that theosophists had was that all of these world religions are really at their base presenting these archetypes they're presenting this ancient wisdom that underlies uh, the otherwise you know seeming diversity and that's the true unity of the world religions is at this archetypal level hmm. Now, I can talk about uh, sacramental theology and spiritual practices for days and days and days, so let's do that. Um, <laughs> uh, we talked a lot about the Eucharist. Uh, what other kinds of uh, esoteric interpretations of the other sacraments does the liberal Catholic Church have? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, well, for instance, you know, in... Um in the liberal Catholic liturgy, when you read it and you pay really close attention to it, you'll notice these little subtle things. And so, for instance, in the baptism ceremony, unlike in most, I say most, all Christian churches except other esoteric groups, uh, but the traditional type churches and Protestant churches, in those churches, you know, you're sort of baptized, uh, however they describe it, into Christ or into, into the body of Christ and so forth. And in the liberal Catholic tradition and in our liturgy, the priest actually uh, sort of makes these sort of crosses and uh, they're called, is, is essentially, he begins by sort of opening these uh, centers that's mm. called in the liturgy. Uh, and it's really the chakras, yeah. the chakras. And so we actually have that in our uh, baptismal service that the priest is actually opening and then at the end of the service closing the chakras. He's opening them to pour this special sort of initiatory energy into the child or the adult that's being baptized and then closing the, the chakras as well afterwards and sort of sealing them with this sort of special uh, baptismal energy as it were. Mm -hmm. So that's just one. Um, I'd probably have to think for a minute to, see, you know, come up with some other uh, good examples of, of some real difference uh, in a sort of more esoteric way that we would understand some of these liturgical acts. How about your ordinations? What, what are they like? Um, 
Yes, they also, you know, in the liberal Catholic tradition, you know, we, uh, the church, I guess, revived. I haven't really studied this too much, so I sort of take their word for it. So mm -hmm. if somebody ultimately tells me that this isn't true, it won't, you know, it won't shatter me. But <laughs> they, they claim that uh, they revived a more ancient tradition of uh, people going through minor, uh, I, I don't know if you'd call them minor orders, but I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a blank now about what we actually call them. But in other words, there's this whole idea that there's these steps, like instead of like in, in a Roman Catholic church, you know, you would become like a, a, a subdeacon or, you know, a deacon. And, but in this, uh, in our tradition, you know, you, you become a, an acolyte and a, a doorkeeper and an exorcist. There's this whole process that you go through towards becoming a priest, for instance. And each one of those steps is actually, when you read the liturgy, you're supposed to be working on different aspects of yourself, sort of spiritually, psychically, and so forth, to prepare yourself for this. Essentially, you're preparing yourself in a, in a series of, of little initiations leading up to a much greater initiation, which is into major orders. Mm -hmm. Uh, into the to become a deacon and a and a priest, and of course there's an even larger initiation with even more energy and power if you become a bishop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, does this sound familiar, Father? Yeah, yeah, we we do yeah. a we do a similar thing. Um, there's a uh, there's a tendency in a lot of the independent sacramental churches that. Uh, you're you're not really a fully you're not you're not trying hard enough if you're not a bishop yet. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right? You you've you've been hanging around for a couple of weeks. Why aren't you a bishop? No, I I, I don't I don't mean to make fun, but uh, <laughs> I do kind of a little. Um, but uh, there's a very important role I think for all. All, for everybody in a in a church in a sacramental church, especially an esoteric sacramental church, where um, uh, you know we've talked about it uh, throughout these two shows that the the laity have a role to play in the in the Eucharist as well, and and it's 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 not that we see because they are initiations, as you said. You know, they're the, we we use the minor orders in a very similar way in the AJC, right. and, and um, but it's not an initiation that everybody needs to seek. It's a it's an initiation into service, um, at, you know, right. as much as an, an esoteric initiation. Yeah, well, and liberal Catholics would also describe it as an uh, you know each each uh, step of these minor orders. You are also uh, being sort of uh, educated as well within the liturgy about mm -hmm. what kind of service you're supposed to be. Uh, committing for the wider humanity as well. That's mm -hmm. true. I was. I'd also like to comment. You. You had mentioned there is this stereotype of the independent movement that, you know, it's sort of priest and bishop heavy and so forth. You know, and there's more clergy. Oftentimes, uh, there's more people up at the altar than there are out in the seats yeah. and so forth. And there is a criticism uh, of our church and other churches that have followed in our sort of tradition. Um, and oftentimes uh, use our liturgy or uh, uh, versions of our liturgy and so forth. The most our copied church, liturgy among the yes, independent our, our church has been very, quite influential mm -hmm. in the independent movement. Actually, and many of our bishops don't really like that, but you know <laughs> that's just the, the fact. Right. That's just what it is. Uh, but anyway, so there is a stereotype about that. And all stereotypes, of course, you know, we may not like to admit it, but they generally are based on something. And yes, it's true that early in, in the liberal Catholic history, there was a definite understanding of the ordination process as, as being an initiation, and this led people to this view, almost like an elitism, mm -hmm. that they somehow were not, uh, you know, spiritual enough if they weren't going through holy orders. But um, I can tell you that, like, for instance, my personal experience with it was I had been a member of... Uh, a group that's called the Liberal Catholic Church International, mm -hmm. which had split from the one, the the main one that I'm a part of now, uh, a long time ago in the 40s, and um, I had tried to start a mission, 
in a city uh, that was about an hour to the east of Los Angeles, and it just kind of would start and stop and start and stop. And so I had given up. I had reached the stage of deacon, mm-hmm. and I was done. The only reason I was going towards the priesthood was because I th- figured it was the only way to have a liberal Catholic church in my community. <laughs> there wasn't one within an hour that remark. Or away. Yeah. And so that's the only reason I went into the priesthood and or I, that I was trying to go into that path. And when I came to Los Angeles in December of 2012, my intention was to be a lay person. Mm-hmm. I assumed that they wouldn't really want me because of my background with this other group to really work with the church. And my full intention was to be a lay person. And it turned out that the priest uh, was... Uh, sort of advanced in age, his health wasn't particularly good, and within a month of attending, uh, he had to go in the hospital, and I was going to visit the bishop because otherwise I didn't see how we were going to have a church. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a lot of that that goes on in the independent movement as well to explain why so many people get involved because, you know, if you're really sort of passionate or, or you have a real belief that this particular group can have an important work to do in a community and you don't see anybody else doing it, you know, then you kind of oftentimes feel a calling to, to do that. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think a lot of independent priests get enough uh, sort of understanding or credit for that. No, sure. You're preaching to the choir. That's, uh, that's right. exactly my story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, and yeah, I, I joke about the the bishops and everything, but um, the, the, you you can tell that the churches that are doing the work and that are out there serving the community and and, uh, and you know pe- people know. Look, and there's yeah. always going to be there's always going to be you know the the um, episcopae vegantes or whatever. There's always going to be this sort of subculture of people, kind of like the people who get heavily involved in like. Uh, Oh, you know, like they want titles and knighthoods mm-hmm. and things like that. And so part of that, there are people who, you know, they want to be a bishop mm-hmm. and they, they like to put on the hat and all that. And that's always going to be part of the overall independent subculture. But, you know, like this, uh, I know that the Apostolic Joannite Church, because when I was first uh, exploring uh the path that was going to lead me into the liberal Catholic Church, the way I discovered the church was in a book by a professor Melton called the Encyclopedia of American Religions. Hmm. And he had a section in the book called the liberal Catholic churches mm-hmm. and the apostolic Joannite church. This was probably like in 1989 or so was one of those churches that was listed in that book. And so I know that the church at least was, you know, uh, one of the older sort of independent bodies doing similar work at least as far back then and there's some other groups that go back even a little further and of course then the liberal catholic church which goes back a hundred years and yeah. so generally as time goes on the father time or mother time you know has a mm-hmm. way of uh of sort of as you say weeding out who's which groups are doing the work uh, and are actual churches and which are, you know, uh, whatever, however, well, you know, I don't want to be uncharitable. I'll just say which are like on paper, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just sort of paper churches or in, in the mind of somebody. Um. Yeah, understood. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention it. It probably wasn't the Apostolic Joannite Church you saw in that book because uh, the, the AJC was founded in this formation in the year 2000. So. Oh, okay. Well, I, I think I remember it. it was something like they were based in San Diego. They called themselves like the Joannite Catholic mm. Church or something. So I just assume maybe you guys had that kind of lineage back to them. But I'm not familiar with it, but uh, yeah, okay. maybe maybe worth looking into. I might have to check that out. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was a husband-wife team, and they were like in San Diego. They founded it like in the 60s or something like that. Oh, interesting. Mm. Yeah. I wanted to ask, uh, while we're talking about laity, um, what kind of uh, spiritual practice does uh, a member of the LCC do generally? Is there a prescribed spiritual practice, meditation, uh, rituals? The church doesn't really uh, give official instruction. Mm-hmm. I actually think it's one of the weaknesses of the church, and I wish the church would have a, a, a more institutional approach to this. Uh, 
so basically what they do is they draw on the more theosophical tradition, which, yes, is to focus on meditation. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you talk to most liberal Catholics, their spiritual practice is essentially attending the Eucharist as, as much as they feel they need to or as they can, and then uh, meditation at home. Also, uh, some prayers using the, the, the litur our liturgy book is kind of like an Anglican prayer book mm -hmm. as well. And uh, some people pray the, the offices and so forth. Um, but but you know, then again, you know, there's a lot of cross-fertilization. So, you know, you get uh, one of our churches, like in Iowa, uh, is very connected to the uh, Maharishi College there. Mm. And so if you talk to the priests and uh, laity and so forth from our Fairfield, Iowa church, they're all into TM. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. uh, whereas in other places, you know, in California, you got a bunch of people because uh, our headquarters is Ojai, which is about an hour and a half of north of Los Angeles. And if you know anything about Ojai, that's where uh, Theosophy moved its kind of West Coast headquarters uh, many years, decades ago. And Krishnamurti went up there as well. And Alice Bailey headquarters were up there. Mm -hmm. And so many uh, liberal Catholics are also, you know, they're involved in other groups as well, especially with uh, meditation practices or um, uh, those kinds of things. You know, many, like I say, uh, read as much Krishnamurti as they read, you know, Leadbeater mm -hmm. and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, Jonathan, you want to, uh, any last questions before we wrap things up? Did we miss anything? Uh, I think we got through most of them, and we even got to go down some some uh, some rabbit holes. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'll keep talking as long as you guys want to talk, and uh, just no, sure. If, what, if, if, if what? I've if I've exhausted your interest or whatever, <laughs> then that's fine too. But you know. Uh, well, what 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 uh, what didn't we ask you that you that we, we that you wish we? Had? I don't. I don't know. I think the you sent me like the little pre-list of questions, and I think most of those were uh, were discussed. Um, I guess maybe I'll ask you guys a couple questions. I I I maybe I don't know as much about your church as I thought I did. Um, but I I don't. Isn't this the group that like has like uh, I heard you guys joking around a little bit in the they in the pre-patter that you guys <laughs> do before everything goes on air or live. Uh, I heard you guys joking about that convocation or whatever. It, are, this is the group, right, that uh, has this really interesting kind of conferences, right, where you guys have like some pretty major figures come and speak. And I think I've yeah. listened to some of those. Is this yeah. th this this group, right? Yeah, yeah. Once a year, yeah, okay. we have our annual, uh, you know, our, we call it our conclave, our international conclave, yeah, our international conference, and. Um, We've been very lucky over the last several years to get some really great guests. Um, uh, you know, uh, three years in a row now, we're going to have some really, uh, really influential scholars uh, of Gnosticism uh, yeah. that are going to come and talk to us. We've got uh, Dr. Karen King from Harvard is is coming to be our, our featured speaker this year. So right, right. I think and wasn't it? Uh, oh, I can't remember his name. I think he was based out of Santa Barbara. Um, very well-known Gnostic scholar. Didn't he speak at one of your conferences as well? Um, yeah, we had um, uh, Richard uh, Smalley. We've had uh, Berger Pearson. Pearson, yeah, yeah Berger, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not pronouncing his name correctly, but I don't know a lot of people do in America. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, and and all those lectures you you can go back and look at the uh, Joe and I Church's YouTube channel. Um, yeah. Just go to joeandite.org, and it's somewhere in the menu bar at the top. You'll find it. it yeah, it's um, it's it's pretty nice. Uh, it, it's a very exciting uh, week that we do. Uh, it's coming up next month. Well, yeah, a month from now, right? A month uh, from now. Yeah. We'll, we'll be uh, we'll be gathering together in uh, just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, this year. So I don't have to drive very far. <laughs> and I'm sure your regular listeners probably already know this, but just in case, so. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I briefly mentioned that the sort of pre-show kind of patter that was going on mm -hmm. uh, between the two of you and a little bit with myself. And uh, I've always had this uh, uh, observation that I've had of the liberal Catholic Church, but really it's I've noticed that it also affects a lot of people in the independent sacramental or Catholic movement as well. 
and you guys really fit that pattern, which is, <laughs> I think that the, I always describe it, and a lot of people don't like this, but I describe the movement, it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's, it, it's an easy home or it's a place for misfits. <laughs> you yes. know, it's a place for uh, people who aren't exactly, you know, we, we take our spirituality pretty serious, but uh, our other interests and, and so forth that we have, intellectual interests and so forth, oftentimes uh, make us kind of misfits a little bit. You oh, know, sure. we don't, Part of the reason I, there's a there's a misconception that a lot of people who are in the independent movement are there because uh, they can't get along and play well with others and so forth. You know they they uh, <laughs> they want to be their own bishops as yeah, we talked yeah. about you know and that kind of thing. And but I actually th think that it's just as equally as much. There's just oftentimes not a good place for us to fit. Yeah. And. Yeah. Uh, I was just noticing that listening to your guys' patter. You know, it's very similar in the liberal Catholic Church when you get the the priests and the laity at a conference or something and you listen to the people and you realize, oh, yes, that's why we're all here, you know. Uh, we wouldn't fit quite as well at the uh, after-service uh, fellowship hour at the local Catholic Church maybe quite as well, you know. We yeah. get our our senses of humor are a little more uh, <laughs> broad and so forth, you know. So. Yeah, come for the weird spirituality, stay for the weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I love, I love my fellow weirdos. <laughs> yeah, and I really think that that's, uh, that's one of the interesting things to me about the independent sort of Catholic groups, you know, including my own, the liberal Catholic Church, is that we really, I really do think that we are on the verge of uh, sort of transformed human consciousness and a lot of people uh, it seems to me are just not quite uh, getting into some of the traditional more traditional ways of doing Christianity and and ritual and liturgy and so forth and I really do think that in, in many ways we are just kind of you know holding the holding whatever you know we're we're we're, we're in place just waiting we're kind of at the cusp of, of a transformation i think and i think groups like the liberal catholic church and like what you guys are doing and so forth are going to be quite important in the next sort of coming 10 20 years uh as we as spirituality in in the west and in the united states uh, begins to transform itself well and, i hope you're uh, right yeah i i mean right. i've always thought that i was pretty important so <laughs> I uh, I've actually been saying for 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 a while sort of the same thing, Father Bassett, and um, and particularly uh, you know I'm up in Canada where religion plays a, a much smaller role in, in life in public life than it does in the states, and I see a lot of the mainline Protestant churches. Um, I was I, I have a similar background to you, Father Bass, where I come out of you know friendly and nice liberal Protestantism, and I'm not bashing it. It was a very nice right. tradition to grow up in. And I see that tradition, like, they're, they're going to have bivocational, even the very large churches in Canada, they're going to have bivocational clergy soon. And even the, uh, you know, they're like one of the largest Protestant churches, United Church, like, they're they're starting to lose their, their buildings, and they're starting to, to meet in uh, uh, rented spaces. And I'm not, um, this all sounds negative, but in some ways it's us in the independent sacramental churches, the Indy Catholics, we're used to all of this. Mm. We're, we're going to have a handle on the big change in religion you, you, that, that that's coming. And I think that because we already know how to navigate this uh, uh, and combine it with ancient traditions, that we're going to do quite well in the future. That's my rant. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, I think that things, um, you know, it's kind of well known that before sometimes things can really change they they kind of have to dis other things have to kind of dissipate mm -hmm. and uh or sort of you know break down and i think that that's just kind of what's been going on with spirituality and uh you know i think it's uh, i think it's just sort of has to be that way mm -hmm. uh, for, yeah. so for instance within the liberal catholic church you know for we've been teaching you know well we a lot of the things that we changed in our liturgy were essentially what eventually happened in the liturgical movement later on in the century mm -hmm. and that culminated in Vatican II. 
But because we kept this more ancient view of the sacraments as having a kind of magical power as their purpose, uh, we actually ended up retaining more of the Mass than, than the Roman Catholics mm -hmm. did. And mm -hmm. uh, that's what I think is interesting about these independent groups, you know, that we, by sort of retaining the tradition, but in a way that also makes it open to a new spirituality, uh, one that, that sort of helps, you know, attune people to God, as opposed to tell them what they have to do to, you know, bend themselves and kind of make themselves fit these sort of predetermined models of, of someone's understanding of what a spiritual person is, mm -hmm. this taking Christianity and actually uh, reforming it in a way or, or, or opening it in a way that it, it becomes more like an Eastern religion, that it becomes like a path where, you know, you're really attuning yourself with God and you're seeing your fellow human beings as also... Uh, aspects of this divinity, of this God. And uh, that's a very different consciousness. Uh, of course, in the liberal Catholic tradition, we think it's a, a vital consciousness uh, in human evolution. Um, but whether or not you accept that premise, uh, all of these groups, I mean, for instance, your group, you know, with this idea of, of sort of reviving uh, some of the Gnostic understandings, all of that is, is really uh, so powerful in terms of uh, transforming human consciousness. Mm. Well, I, that is a great place to leave it because we are just about out of time. So uh, I would like to thank you, Father Best, once again for joining us on the show and uh, sharing some of your weirdness with us. Uh, we really <laughs> appreciate that. And uh, please check the links in the description of the podcast for, um, for, the, uh, for, for Father Bess's website, for his parish, and his uh, podcast. And uh, you should check all of that stuff out. And if you're in, in Los Angeles, stop by and say hello. So uh, thank, you, thank you so much for joining us again. And thank you for the conversation. And both of you have, have a wonderful future going forward. <laughs> Thanks, and to you as well. <laughs> okay, bye. And to everybody who is listening along at home, we will see you next week. Bye. This has been a production of the Gnostic Wisdom Network. For more information about this and all of GWN's programming, please visit GnosticWisdom.net. The opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of GWN, the Apostolic Joannite Church, or any other organization. This has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License and is brought to you by the generous support of our patrons. To support our programs and become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash gnostic. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash g-n-o-s-t-i-c.